Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning and happy Monday. It is a great Monday here in the free state of Florida, and I hope you're having a wonderful morning uh, wherever you are tuning in. If you are on your way to work, if you are on your way back from work, if you are a uh, overnight shift person, or if you are listening uh, to this later in the day when we put the podcast version up, you know you can always listen at AFR.net, and I appreciate everyone who uh, says that they do listen to the podcast, and you can also always uh, contact me, Jenna, at AFR.net. Net. And the top story over the weekend uh, was a little bit, I think, confusing for everybody because uh, there was apparently an attempted coup in Russia. But what exactly was going on was a little bit unclear. Um, some reports and certainly the mainstream media had their uh, narrative and their spin and their bias on it because somehow um, now the the Western mainstream media is apparently okay with a coup as long as it's against uh, Vladimir Putin and a leader that we don't like, then, you know, insurrections, coups, totally fine. Uh, and we're completely fine with some, uh, you know, just random group that is... Um, not known and and who knows what the situation would be in terms of the leadership and in terms of how the government system in Russia would, uh, would work, but anybody but Putin. And that was the message that very clearly came across from the mainstream media. Uh, but what happened? What is the state of play now? And where are we at with the Ukraine-Russia war? And why is America even involved? Well, all of these uh, questions I would like to ask to my first guest, who is John Bowler. He's an Army veteran attorney, former uh, United States Air Force JAG, and a host of other uh, really impressive resume credentials. And so, John, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you Good for morning. inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very interested in your take. And first, um, f- to, to clarify for people who were, who maybe heard a little bit about this, didn't really hear anything about this, or were just confused about uh, the mainstream media spin, um, what happened this weekend in in Russia, and what is the state of play this morning? Um, just by way of a little bit of background on it, it could take an hour to get to the background to really cover the whole thing. But this fellow Prigozhin, who's the leader of the Wagner Group, um, the Wagner Group is some 50,000 um, soldiers, mercenaries, um, who are a lot of whom are said to be the former criminals and <clears throat> released from jail and um, are out now fighting. But they're also said to be the most effective forces that the Russians have on the ground at the moment and were um critical to that, their effort to take Bakhmut, that battle that went on, its great loss of life for some time. And apparently in the course of that, what we're picking, what's been been leaking out was um, the that Progosin became furious at the Russian uh, military leadership, specifically Shogoy, I think his name is, General Shogoy, 
claimed that they were starving uh, the Wagner Group of ammo. Um, they were in other supplies. They were just generally corrupt and ineffective and competent, and his men were dying as a result of it. And the acrimony between uh, Prigozhin and, sh- and the, mil- the Russian military apparently got so um, heated that at one point it's being claimed that the, the military uh, shelled the the Wagner Group's encampment, um, which was kind of, I guess, the final straw for um, Prigozhin, and that seems to have triggered his march towards Mo- Moscow. From that point on, it's really hard to understand what is going on in the ground. Um, supposedly, the Wagner group, with um, with uh, Prigozhin leading the charge, traveled something like 300 miles in the direction of Moscow. And along the way, he got in front of the cameras with a microphone and slammed basically the whole Russian effort, calling it corrupt and incompetent. Um, and he was coming not to uh, betray the country, but to liberate it from corruption and incompetence and their awful military performance. Um, and then suddenly, as you know, we, we hear that Lukashenko, who is a, more or less a Putin puppet in, in uh, uh, Belarus, <coughs> uh, is now broke, has now broken, uh, broken a, brokered a deal for that. Um, and we're, I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen next. I would be in the camp that's suspicious that, uh, Progosin is not going to have a good end to this. Um, it seems to be, he seems to be thinking that he's, uh, going to have a nice retirement and, and, uh, one of the, in the puppet state. I think that's very doubtful. One of the phrases that was used is he's more likely to get a plutonium uh, tea to drink one of these days, as Putin has been wont to do to other others who who uh, um, weakened him. I I can't see this. I don't know what's going to happen uh, as a result of it. Uh, ultimately, nobody does. I don't think, but. Uh, um, it's it, the theory that's been floated around that this was some kind of publicity stunt by um, uh, by Putin uh, to show that he has he's strong enough to put down uh, a, a revolt. I think that's nonsense. <clears throat> I can't imagine that fellow um, uh, willingly taking part in anything that would make him look weak would hurt his ego in any manner or his grip on power. Uh, so I don't believe that. And uh, I really, I think I'd love to have some more insight into what's going on inside the channels of the Russian military. Um, <clears throat> but we know from Putin's past that you have to be a one courageous individual to oppose him because there's been various <clears throat> observations, articles written that like like Z in China, anyone that <clears throat> tends to be a threat of his disappears. Um, they either flee the country <clears throat> or are eliminated. So I can't imagine the, the Russian military turning on Putin at this point. But on the other hand, the war has been 
just uh, devastating for for Russia's interest. They've su- they've succeeded in motivating the Germans to re to rearm. Uh, That's their true um, historical threat, and that they have always uh, been aware of so ever since World War II. They lost 20 million people uh, repelling the Nazis out of Germany, and they obviously never want that again. Um, right. I think the, the, the most um, pertinent things is where should the United States be in all this and what are our interests and how do we move forward? Um, in my own opinion, that the team we have together in this current administration, you have to wonder if they're competent to do anything about it. Um, I think a lot of people are wondering that. Absolutely. And I'm talking with John Bowler, who is um, an Army veteran attorney, uh, former United States Air Force JAG. um, And and John, uh, I think that that really is the pertinent question. Um, Not only is the information not clear of what exactly is going on, but with so much money that the United States has sent uh, to Ukraine's defense, um, the question really hasn't been answered by Joe Biden. And I'm wondering why people uh, like Speaker McCarthy and uh, Mitch McConnell and others who who seem to just readily support this haven't asked or answered themselves that question of what could possibly be the American interest to send this much money. I mean, what, so what's the or, or even just be involved at all. And so what has been uh, perhaps the veneer or the pretext for that? And um, what's your view on where this does go from here and when it possibly ends we we really need to be realistic i mean i think personally i think many americans think that correctly that that putin is a bordering on a psychopath he's a kgb killer he always has been he seems to take pleasure in torturing his own people to death if they oppose him or threaten his schemes so He's awful, and I think he is a threat to ongoing stability of NATO uh, borders, and I think Germany and Poland and others are fearful of him for good reason. But we have to get into that mix, a realistic view of Zelensky. And Zelensky has been courageous. It's true. He put his own life and his family's life to resist the Russian invasion. Our side, including General Milley, the sometimes called the Dwok General, predicted that it was going to the Russians were going to take Ukraine in three days. Uh, we're what into it a year and a half, approximately into it now, and they've taken a little bit around the, the eastern margins that they probably could have had anyway. But anyway, um, Zelensky is uh, reported to be a member of the W, the big follower of the WEF, the World Economic Forum. And it's true uh, th- that um, corruption in the Ukraine is endemic and has been for years. I have had a couple of my best friends that were Ukrainian, and they're, they acknowledge that readily. And one friend who still gets information from there <clears throat> indicates a lot of most of the money that's <clears throat> being donated by Americans and others is not going to the intended recipients. I don't know. I mean, I, <clears throat> I don't know. I haven't heard anything about whether Zelensky is personally involved in that. But it's hard to imagine that he's 
survived politically in that world, in that country, without becoming part of that. And the news has been full of that our own president is compromised by money that that uh, uh, flowed through uh, the Ukraine. It's like it's become like a, you know, a slush fund for various uh, crooked politicians and their sons, including both sides of the aisle in the U.S. So what is what what how do we go forward uh, dealing with him? <clears throat> it's. You know, it's a, a tortuous kind of thing, because if his goals are not the same as America's goals um, at the moment, he needs our weaponry terribly. <clears throat> but in the long run, this is not like a, an American patriot alone who's standing up against bad guys. Yeah, it's more complex than that. I think our key to moving forward, part of it is <clears throat> we need to handle Putin and this crisis in a way that makes China think twice about deciding this is the time to move on to Taiwan. You know, <clears throat> Putin needs to be defeated, but in a way that <clears throat> gives China pause to uh, want to be aggressive against us and take us on in the Pacific, because right. they certainly seem uh, preparing to do that. How do we do about that? Great question. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we, I- I think those are the questions that uh, that need to be asked and answered. And and I think, John, um, saying that this is a lot more complex is really a key here that um, for listeners, I think, is important because there is oversimplification of the situation, I think, um, on both sides. And and to say that it's just it's very clear that um, Zelensky's thoroughly corrupt and no help should should go to him at all. And he didn't stand up, wasn't courageous at all, I think, is oversimplistic. And then at the same time, um, you know, some of this just, well, Russia needs to be absolutely crushed. And so let's send literally every American dollar we possibly can and wave Ukrainian flags outside of our homes. Um, that, that's not only ridiculous, but also overly simplistic. So, um, I, you know, I really appreciate your analysis and I hope that we do get more information that comes out of uh, Russia and Ukraine. And we also should be asking and answering these questions uh, in Congress. And I know that there are a few uh, members who are standing up and asking about that, but we need a lot more answers as we move along. What are American interests? I don't think anybody is clearly uh, asked that, and I'm not sure that Congress can answer that. So John Buller, thanks so much. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Well, on the parental rights front, there is a lot of work still to be done to make sure that we are protecting uh, the parents' right to direct not only the health, safety, and welfare of our children, but also the right to direct their education. And so, 
for all of the homeschool parents out there. Um, you are doing a fantastic job, and I know a lot of people have chosen uh, homeschooling for uh, the very reason to make sure that they know what their children are being taught, because uh, what's going on in schools and even some Christian schools around the country, but especially government-run schools, and I say that uh, because public school is is too nice of a term. We need to be a lot more specific. This is government-run and therefore a government indoctrinating in terms of the curriculum. And uh, there's been even more emphasis over the last week or so of um, some groups like Moms for Liberty that have now been put on the SPLC uh, hate watch list, which um, I've told uh, Tiffany Justice, who's one of the co-founders, it's a badge of honor. Uh, You're on their radar because you're making a difference. Um, And many other uh, groups and also specific parents who have chosen to go to school boards and simply speak up and say, uh, what is going on? I'd like to know what's in my uh, what, what's being taught in my child's classroom and also asking the questions of why are these books uh, that are in some of these classrooms in some libraries um, allowed to to be given to young children and uh, one person who is speaking up and speaking up really well is my good friend uh, pastor John Amanchukwu who is out of uh, North Carolina you can follow him at Rev Wu Truth uh, and he also has uh, is the author of the Erased Book. It's E R A C E D, erasedbook.com. And uh, he has posted a variety of clips, including a collaborative effort that we posted together on Instagram. I'm not going to play it on the show because the content, honestly, is too vulgar. Uh, to play yet. This is content that 10-year-olds can just go and read. Um, but I wanted to bring on Pastor John this morning uh, just to to ask uh, you, John, this morning, um, this very simple question. Uh, why didn't the school district want you to read this book out loud when 10-year-olds can read it and view all of the blatant pornography that is in its pages? It's simple and it's clear because they know that it's disgusting. They know that it's evil. They know that it's vile, but they don't want to hear it themselves. We are fighting a cultural war. We're fighting against Satan. We're fighting against hell's strongest imps because they are doing whatever they can with all of their power to confuse our children. First Corinthians chapter 14 Verse 33 says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And so our children, as early as the age of four, are being confused on gender theory, queer theory, intersectionality, critical race theory. We have drag queens who have now received access to our public school system. They go in there in their elaborate attire. And they're confusing the hearts and the mind of our children. So I'm on a national campaign going from school board to school board, exposing the lies of the left and the intentional mental rape of our kids. Now, I call it mental rape intentionally because to me, you know, it's, it's, we got to come up with a stronger way to depict and explain what's taking place. Grooming is appropriate. And indoctrination is appropriate, but it's mental rape because it assaults the soul, stains the brain, and robs our children of their upward mobility and their innocence. 
Yeah, really, really well said, uh, John Amanchukwu. And how are you being received at some of these school boards? I mean, are they just giving you your few minutes to talk and then uh, you sitting there silently and then ignoring you and wishing you had never come? Or are some uh, some school board members actually engaging with this and 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 telling you thank you for bringing this to their attention? Or what's the overall reception? Yes, well, those who understand truth, more of your, your true Christian um, conservative school board leaders, I received emails from them thanking me for coming to the school system and, to, and speaking up about this issue. However, your Democrat-leaning uh, school board leaders, I don't mean to make this political, but it, it truly is, they are the ones who's pushing this agenda upon our kids, and they're angry. I even had one this past week a guy by the name of uh, Tyler uh, in Wake, Wake County, North Carolina, he got up and walked out as I started speaking about this issue. And that is the third time that he's got up and walked out as a result of me coming to that same school board meeting and addressing the grooming tactics that they are using in the public school system. I've even been cut off by board chairs, stopping me from reading my content. They roll their eyes some have rocks in their jaws. Some won't even dignify me by even making eye contact. They look down the whole time with a strong frown on their face. And so we're fighting against a machine, but we know that ultimately that we will overcome Satan, we will overcome the enemy, but we need parents around the country to begin to disturb the peace. Don't take it lying down. We are not called to be road kill. We are called to stand true and boldly. And so we need parents to begin to understand the significance of your parental rights. You do not co-parent with the public school system. Parents are responsible for talking about sex and these things to their children, not the school system that seeks to pervert them and confuse them. Yes, so, so incredibly well said. And parents need to make sure that they are standing up and that, um, and, and even uh, if you aren't a parent, um, I, I can imagine everyone who is listening right now has some relationship and familial relationship with school age uh, K through 12 children, whether uh, that is, you know, your nieces and nephews like me, whether that is uh, your grandparents, whether it is, um, you know, younger cousins, whether it's even people um, in your church that are part of your church family. Uh, you need to be standing up and making sure that that we as Christians are are helping this issue. And so, John, um, as you're going to these school boards, what is your goal ultimately? Um, is it just to raise awareness to these issues, or is there an ask that you make of the school boards and an action item that you're requesting and, and a goal to kind of move this ball forward? Well, people like me who speak at school board meetings and address the woke books, we're labeled as uh, book banners. And I'm not for banning books and, and information for children unless it's not wholesome. You know, I'm, I'm for banning pornography. I'm for banning uh, content that's, that's going to uh, destroy the, um, the heart and the mind of our children. And so, first and foremost, I'm asking them to remove these books. I'm also asking the school districts to focus more on reading, writing, and arithmetic. 
across the nation. We know that because of learning loss through the pandemic, that uh, many students are still a year or maybe even a two two years behind. We know that across the board, many students are not reading on grade level. They're not doing math on grade level. And we're still passing these children along without making sure that they have the strong footing to compete in a um, the uh, American and global uh, economy. And so I'm asking parents and I'm asking school board leaders to begin to understand this, this issue as a wholesome problem for what it is and that is the fact that if we do not get a strong uh, get a strong grip on what's taking place we will continually lose another generation so i'm i'm seeking to ban all filth from the public school system put an emphasis and a focus back on education and i'm also asking them to remove all BLM flags and pride flags, because the pride flag that is used by the left is, is a symbol that was hijacked and stolen from the church. They use a six-colored rainbow flag, but the true rainbow has seven stripes in it. It's seven colors that mimic Roy G. Biv, and the rainbow naturally occurs in nature, but the pride flag that is used by the left does it. Mm, that is so well said. And we do need to reclaim the rainbow. And I don't believe for a moment, John Amanchukwu, that it is an accident or by coincidence that the entire pride movement has hijacked the rainbow and it is intentionally knowing what that symbol is and that that is the sign of the covenant uh, that the Lord made. Uh, back in Genesis, in in the midst of um, you know, everything that was going on in that day and all of the wickedness, that that would be their symbol to intentionally pervert that and intentionally flaunt that in the face of the Lord. And when you look at um, how much is going on um, in not only during Pride Month, but just continually in our culture, um, that does need to be the the bold courageous move of Christians to stand up and say, we care about what is uh, in our government-run schools. We care about uh, what is in the curriculum. We care about what's going on in society as well, because you're talking about, you know, this, um, this indoctrination and normalizing of perversion. And over the weekend as well, we saw with some of these um, just they were they were pride parades i guess is a very benign yeah. description and the the term disgusting is still trending this morning on twitter and it was trending all day yesterday and i'm grateful for that because that was the key word that described all of these uh, parades because there were literally naked men that were riding bicycles and just in these parades in front of children and and so, what do we have to do, John Amanshuku, to to not just you know not just convince these these obviously very lost people that this is inappropriate, but what is the most shocking to me is that parents willingly bring their children to these vulgar displays of disgusting perversion. Where have we gotten as a society? that not only is this ex acceptable and permissible in some circles, but this is actually something that parents willingly take their children to. Well, I'll tell you this. A recent Barna poll revealed that 
revealed that 39% of Gen Z now identifies as LGBTQ. Even more shocking, 27% of millennial Christians and 28% of born-again millennial Christians identify as LGBTQ. Now, part of the problem is that many of your pastors today, they try to do a uh, balancing act. They don't want to point out the sin of homosexuality as an evil or a thing that God is not pleased with. They kind of want to make people feel good in their sin and not give them a true response and answer to the damaging effects to the soul as it relates with striving with your maker, striving with the creator, and telling God that his design for sex is wrong. And so much of the blame for what we're seeing today, even with these stats from the Barner, um, the Barner poll, comes from lazy, flimsy, weak, and timid pastors who will not stand on the truth of God's Word. That's part of the problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men shall inherit the kingdom of God, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, the church should have an added interest in making sure that all mankind will meet Jesus, will inherit the kingdom of God. And so instead of us holding this position that, you know, it's not my job to speak the truth when it comes to homosexuality and leave it up to someone else, And there's some today who say, you know, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality in the first place. And so, therefore, uh, what should we say as the church? Because Jesus never said anything about it. Well, the term homosexuality um, came out nearly nearly 400 years, you know, uh, prior to them, them penning Scripture. And they did not know that that word was even a word to be used to explain it. However, the act of homosexuality is present in Scripture, and Jesus does speak about Sodom and Gomorrah, and we know that the sin of Sodom was homosexuality. And so the Bible does speak about it in the Old Testament when you hear about it in Leviticus chapter 18, when you hear about it in Romans chapter 1 about homosexuality and that sin, wherever Scripture says truth and speaks truth, Christ is present because in Christ dwell the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And as holy men of God wrote, the Spirit of God was there. Christ is present. And so therefore, truth is truth. And Christ is present wherever we see truth in Scripture. 
Amen to that, my friend. Amen, Pastor John. And we got to leave it there, but so appreciate your analysis as always. And Jesus also ratified marriage as between one man and one woman in the New Testament. And so we know that truth does not change because the person of God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So John Amanchuku, you can follow him at RevWooTruth. He's the author of ErasedBook.com. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And uh, today being Monday, uh, we are starting kind of a new series on this show that I want to talk more about the U.S. Constitution in context to give you more of the tools to, uh, to understand and analyze the world around us, what our government is doing, what our government should be doing, uh, according to not only our U.S. Constitution and our rule book, but also how that fits into the greater scope of uh, politics, which we've defined as truth in community. And so we're going to be talking through a lot of these issues and uh, the the tools and the text of the Constitution and, and some of this. Uh, but I want to set the stage first by addressing an issue that um, I've gotten a lot of uh, really good and, and some um, other, you know, maybe uh, we could frame it a little more um, critical feedback. And, and I always really appreciate hearing from all of you and as many people as are willing uh, to write into the show to, you know, respond on some of my social media uh, feed, you know, some of those things. And, and I wanted to uh, first address kind of, um, for <laughs> pun intended, the elephant in the room, of course, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the GOP ele- elephant perhaps, because as we are moving forward to the uh, 2024 presidential election, as we are addressing news of the day issues that deal with uh, political party issues, um, of course, there is going to be a lot of tension. And um, it's it's just going to be a very difficult primary. And it already is uh, in terms of those of you who are ardent uh, President Trump supporters, uh, those of you who maybe are um, supporters, but not as much with as much intensity. Um, and for some of you who maybe are um, totally open-minded um, about it. And and so I want to uh, address this and clarify because I have been very uh, forthright with all of you that I intend to be neutral here on the show in terms of advocacy. And so what I mean by that is that I am not personally endorsing a candidate in the primary um, and in the GOP primary. Now, I could in my personal capacity. Obviously, AFR as as a network does not um, and as a nonprofit does not, but um, but I could and I have in the past. Um, but I'm choosing not to in, um, in this new role, particularly here at AFR and even on Salem, because once you endorse a candidate, it becomes really, really difficult to genuinely critique and criticize things that you disagree with. And and I know this from personal experience. And also, if you end up uh, working for a campaign, um, as I did in 2020, there's nothing wrong with that uh, at all. But the role and responsibility and duty and obligation of someone who works for a campaign or a candidate, of course, is to advocate for them. And, and it's not to say that everything is spin, but it is to say that you put 
um, anything that is a disagreement within the context of uh, of, of the network or the um, the media hit that you're on in in the light most favorable to your candidate, and that's just the way it goes, and that's fine. And so, um, so I don't want to put myself in that position in this primary, um, mainly because I think it's very important that in this role that I have with this show and with you as an AFR family, I want to tell you my opinions. Now, that means not that I'm going to be totally neutral and you won't know any of my opinions. If you have been listening through the course of, you know, from January when I started this show, um, all the way until now, um, you have seen that I have a great relationship with President Trump, with some of his, uh, with some of his team. Still, I bring them on to give their perspectives. Um, sometimes I'll agree with them. Sometimes I won't. Um, I likewise have a good relationship with Governor DeSantis's uh, campaign, and now that he's announced, um, he's been on the show as well. And members of uh, his pack, people who are advocating, sometimes I agree with them. Sometimes I don't. Um, So if you've been listening across the whole, what I mean by neutrality is that I'm willing to bring on people with very different perspectives who are advocating for different things. And I think that that's important for you as listeners to hear from all sides, even if you have already made up your mind or you think you've already made up your mind. We have a long way to go. And I thought I had made up my mind in 2016 initially when I was a Ted Cruz supporter. Um, and I hadn't, uh, at, at that point, I wasn't working for a campaign. I hadn't endorsed anybody. And I ended up being um, f- being converted, having a change of mind um, because I heard President Trump speak in a different context. Um, and I heard him speak personally. And, and so that changed my mind and I ultimately voted for him. Um, So I think that it's important as we go along to be able to have the discernment and the conversation uh, from a wide variety of perspectives. So that doesn't mean, and you need to understand that you can't expect me to be a Trump apologist or to be a DeSantis apologist or Vivek Ramaswamy because um, we because he chooses to come on personally himself when we invite all of the candidates on. Um, he chooses to come on personally. If if Governor DeSantis and, and President Trump all wanted to come on every other week, I would host them. I think that would be a great conversation. They tend to send more surrogates, and that's the way that usually this business works. Um, so when we issue an invitation to um, a, a campaign to have one of their uh, spokespersons persons or the candidate themselves, sometimes we get the candidates, and that's awesome. Um, Other times, and most of the time, we get uh, people who are spokespersons. And uh, Vivek is, is just very unique in that he does most of the media himself. In fact, I don't even know if I've seen a spokesperson for him. So, um, so it's not to say that I'm favoring him at all, uh, because he himself comes on. So, um, or that uh, because I really like what he has to say, that I'm going to withhold that opinion from you um, in the the realm of trying to be totally neutral because the purpose of this show is to agree on the biblical worldview to say first and foremost we are all christians therefore we agree on what truth is we agree on the person of truth that is god we agree that this country was founded with a recognition that God, our creator, gave us our rights, and it's the sole purpose of government to preserve and protect those rights. Then we can go from there 
And we can have opinions on the best way to do that. Because like our founding fathers before us, uh, they disagreed on a wide variety of, of policy of the best way to do things on the right person to accomplish the mission. And that is okay. Because there is a difference, even biblically speaking, between truth and wisdom. And so there are many things that are a fundamentally a measurable difference between right and wrong, good versus evil, truth versus false. And we have to be very careful as Christians that we never say that what God has designated and judged already as truth, we put into the wisdom category because we are obligated as Christians to only promote and to seek and strive to live out and work out our salvation only according to truth and to rightly divide those measurable differences. And then we also understand that in the freedom of Christ, there is uh, some subject matter and some categories that are a matter of wisdom. And those are the decisions that we pray about, that we uh, seek God's will on, that we seek his wisdom on, and we pray for wisdom. And one of those things that falls into the wisdom category is who we select and prefer as our leaders in this country, because we have such a great blessing of liberty to be able to select and vote for our leaders. And we can talk about election integrity issues. We can talk about the, the processes around that, some concerns that we all have around that. But, uh, but at least according to the text of the Constitution, we get to choose. And so it becomes a matter of wisdom. And what has really concerned me in um, not a lot of the response, but, um, but especially some of the, um, the social media and um, even more media aspect of how we as a country are talking about this primary um, is that this has become now a question of are you a an American or are you a traitor? Is this is this a loyalty question? Uh, is this something where now you know you're supporting a globalist and you know and a lot of these things that in my opinion. Um, are not very well thought out criticisms and metrics by which we need to analyze these things. So I want to be very upfront with you um, and with the entire AFR family, because that's our purpose here, is to help you navigate and see some of these issues through a biblical worldview lens. And we may come to a different opinion on who is the best candidate to vote for if you are in an unaffiliated or if you are a registered Republican or however you choose to exercise your vote. We can come to different conclusions on that while agreeing that it is a wisdom decision and while agreeing that the biblical worldview is the lens by which we need to view any election and those contests. And so I want to be neutral in the sense that I want to give you um, all of the options. I want to talk through all of those. I want to talk about the good and the bad and the um, the remarkable and the criticisms of all candidates uh, because I don't work for President Trump anymore. I, I greatly respect him. Um, I'm thankful for everything that President Trump um, has done. And when he was in office and I worked for him, of course, I was advocating for him. That was my job. My job now is to give you my opinion. And uh, my opinion in a 2024 context is going to look very different because it's a different election than 2020. So for those of you who may have anticipated that this would be all pro-Trump 
or that now because I don't work for Trump, um, somehow this is going to be all anti-Trump. Well, I want to set the stage here and be very clear that that's not what this show is about. That's not who I'm about. Ultimately, what I'm about is speaking truth about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and truth in society and making sure that we understand our wonderful U.S. Constitution, make sure we understand and can analyze all of the uh, the policy, all of the uh, considerations from the legislative to the executive to the judicial on the state and local level. And some of that will deal with elections, but a lot of it doesn't. I mean, that that has kind of been a, a huge focus, and I think it will be a huge focus because we're all very concerned about our country. Uh, but but we need to have a mind of Christ first. And I want to be very uh, upfront, like I said, with all of you, that um, my opinion right now um, is that I currently am supporting Governor DeSantis. I think that he is the best candidate uh, for a wide variety of reasons. And if you've seen my social media, if you've heard me here, I'm not going to withhold that opinion. I support him. Um, I think that he has done a great job in the state of Florida, and I think that um, moving forward, um, there are a lot of reasons, uh, not only for the eight years that he could be in office, but that we could have um, really good confidence in the character of the man himself, how he has um, mobilized his executive branch. And if you disagree with me on that, that's okay. Um, So I'm not going to withhold that opinion from you, because I am not trying on this show to advocate for Governor DeSantis. I'm not a spokesperson for him. I don't work for him. I don't work for any entity. I'm not paid by any entity that is affiliated with a campaign. But I'm also going to give you my opinion so that we can work through together, through analysis and commentary, how you may want to think about this as well. And I think that for every host on this show, on uh, this network, that is concerned about politics, that is concerned about selecting and preferring the best leader, we're all going to be doing that. I know that um, my good friend Abe Hamilton, um, he also does that as well. I know that um, Tim and Walker, uh, they do that as well. And, um, you know, and in fact, offline, we all have conversations, you know, did you see this thing in the news? Uh, you know, what do we think about this? And, and so that's, that is how I want to frame this for you, that there is truth that we all agree on and then we have to make wisdom decisions and with that you need to hear from everybody and you need to analyze these things for yourself and if you come to a different conclusion than me then then great that is a matter of wisdom that's why we each are responsible before the lord for our own vote but i'm going to give you my opinions i'm going to give you my analysis you may or may not agree with me you may not agree with me initially then become convinced I don't know, but that's what uh, we're going to be doing over the course of this whole program. And so I hope that that helps you better understand and frame this, because a lot of people who have known me in the context of working for President Trump um, somehow don't realize that I was a conservative and and a Christian long before I ever worked for President Trump. I have been in this fight long before President Trump came down the escalator, long before I did as a job for a set period of time under a set uh, condition and circumstance worked for him. And I'm going to be a conservative and fight for the conservative movement and for biblical truth in the biblical worldview long after the name Donald Trump can't and just doesn't appear uh, on the ticket. Because at some point, 
we are going to uh, not have Donald Trump as an option, uh, whether you know that's 2024 or beyond. That is going to be a day. So we need to know what are the principles of conservatism? What does the Bible require? And we can analyze and provide opinions in that context. And that's what I hope you will join me for and understand that we have to be Christians first. Then we can choose who we support as a candidate based on those principles. So we're going to be talking about this a lot more, but especially the U.S. Constitution. I'm really looking forward to it. You can always send me your thoughts and commentary, Jenna at AFR.net, and I'll see you tomorrow morning. Make it a great day to speak truth because we love the person of truth, and that is his name, Jesus Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.